Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. All right, we're going to play a game. And I just made up this game right now. It's called What's It? And here's how you play. There is something under this blanket. And all you need to do is simply guess what it is. Go. No. It is. There is a water bottle. Yes. What do you think is in the water bottle? Water. Good. You're getting there. All right. What's in the water in the water bottle? No. A goldfish? No. Kool-Aid? Nope. 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 No, there's something in there. No. Well, yeah, but no. Keep going. It might be alive. It's not a goldfish. No. 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 It might be a probiotics. Yeah. Uh, there might, it might be a crustacean, I think. Not exactly sure. Crawdad? No, close. Frog, snake, tadpole. Have you? Who guessed? Who said sea monkeys? Are you serious? That's it. They're sea monkeys. Yeah, sea monkeys. Oh, wow. Okay. That's it. So they're sea monkeys. The big question is are my sea monkeys dead or alive? Truth is, I'm not sure. So there was a time when I was really, really little. I was reading Mad Magazine. And at the back of Mad Magazine, uh, there's a bunch of things that you can, order on, uh, you can order over the phone, and they'll mail it to you, like x-ray goggles, right, and like spy gear and all kinds of gags. One of the ads was for instant life sea monkeys. And there's a picture of like these sea monkeys lounging around, sea monkey families, and they're dancing, top hats, and all that kind of stuff. I was like, God, oh, so cool. It's just $1.99. And so I went to my mom and dad. I'm like, Dad, 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 give me some sea monkeys. It's just $1.99 and $7.50 shipping and handling. Dad, Dad. Right? And I pestered my parents and I beat them down until they submitted and bought me sea monkeys. And those two weeks waiting for the shipment to come, right, just killed me. I finally got it. I got the Sea Monkey Instant Life Egg Powder, and I put it in, and I took care of it, and I followed all the directions. And after a couple days, they began to hatch, and I had sea monkeys, like a little shrimp. They started to grow. That was kind of cool. Then I got tired of it, kind of forgot about it, put it to the side, until my friend at school was like, you have sea monkeys? I'm like, yeah, they're the best. They're the coolest. I have my own family of sea monkeys. He's like, I want to see. So took my friend over from school, flipped on the lights to show him my sea monkeys. And they were all there on a pile, dead. <laughs> and I thought, you know, maybe they're just sleeping. So I took the bottle. I swirled it around. Come back, sea monkeys. Wake up. And they're like corpses. like... You know, like floating around. And I was reminded of that story because as I was reading Revelation chapter 3 in the church in Sardis, which is what we're going to study today, 
Jesus comes to this church and he says, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Jesus flips on the light on a church that everyone thinks is this living, vibrant, active church and reveals that this church is dead as a doornail. And if Jesus can reveal that about a church that everyone thinks is alive, it might make you wonder if Jesus flipped the light on our church, flipped on the light in my own life, will he see death or does he see life? I want you to hang with me because that could be a haunting question as we encounter the true Jesus. So we're going to get into the Bible today. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. And this is Jesus revealing himself to the church in Sardis. If you got a Bible with me, you're invited to join me. So in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, I'll be reading through the English Standard Version. You're welcome to follow along in any translation that you have. Also, the words will be on the screen. So let's read through this together. And the angel of the Lord in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it. Repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to hear what the true and revealed Jesus says to his church. Amen. So this passage... Jesus flips on the light, reveals that this church that has this reputation of being alive is really dead. And we're going to see three revelations in this passage. You know, Revelation, the full title of the book is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's the first verse and the first line of the book of Revelation. Revelation reveals the true Jesus. And in chapter 2 and in chapter 3... The true revealed Jesus also is a revealer because he reveals the true condition and the true health of the churches and the people who belong to him. And Jesus is revealing the condition of Sardis. So we're going to see three revelations. The first one you're going to see is what is truly dead, what is truly alive, and how to find life. So let's talk first about what is truly dead. You see this, that Sardis has this reputation of being alive. And we don't know exactly what that looked like in the context, but I'm sure we can imagine, right? 
They're the church. They're active. This is, these are doers. They got a full church calendar. They're engaged in ministry. They're welcoming. They're sharing the gospel. They're greeting people. They're serving. They're in the community. They're the kind of people, they're the kind of church that's like, man, we don't go to church. We do church, right? They're doers. They're the kind of church where it's like, man, it's just hard to keep up with all that's going on and all that's happening. And Jesus walks in and says, you guys are comatose. You're dead. There's nothing going on here. And then Jesus says about his coming like a thief. And you see that in verse 3. This is the warning. I will come like a thief, and you do not know at what hour I will come against you. Jesus is not saying, when I return, I'm coming for you. Jesus comes for his church. He comes for his people. He comes for believers. But for those who are dead, he's coming against them. That should be a gut check and a question. Is Jesus coming back for me, or is Jesus coming back against me? Now, he uses this phrase, I'm coming like a thief, and Jesus has said this before. And so every serious student of the Bible knows that when you see something that's referenced in the Bible, that's spoken of elsewhere, that should lead you to want to maybe just upload in your mind, in your memory, right, this phrase, like a thief, where elsewhere did Jesus talk about that and share that? Because this is a theme that Jesus a number of times talked about, his coming, his second coming, being like a thief and catching everyone by surprise. And if you do that search, you'll find two chapters in particular, Luke chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 24. In both situations, Jesus talks about coming like a thief, surprising the world. And then in both of those chapters, Jesus gives an illustration, a parable that's directed towards how even his own followers, his own servants, are going to be surprised. Now, we're just going to read through the one in Matthew, but it's the same one found in Luke chapter 12. And Jesus talks about how even his coming will catch his own servants off guard. So turn with me to Matthew 24, and we'll look up this illustration. Matthew 24, verse 45 to 51. This is what Jesus says. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master's delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come at a day he does not expect and an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and will put him with the hypocrites in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth two kinds of servants that Jesus finds the wise and faithful and the wicked First notice, what are the wise and faithful servants doing when Jesus comes back? Nothing in particular. They're just serving. They're just being who they are. There's no 
amazing, extraordinary, above and beyond effort or activity Jesus is the wise and faithful servants are doing. They're just living out their identity. We're servants, we serve. And look at the reward. When Jesus comes back, they get to rule and reign. They get to co-lead with the master. They get to co-rule with King Jesus. They get to sit next to Jesus' throne over the control room of the whole cosmos. That's the future for the wise servant. And they're simply doing what servants do. What does this passage say about the wicked servant? The wicked servants are really, really active. They're busy beating other servants and helping themselves eating and drinking. And this is a picture of self-leadership because what happens to those servants? They get assigned to the hypocrites. And in Jesus's colorful language, short and short, they go to hell. Why would Jesus send hypocrites, his servants, hypocritical servants to hell? Why? Well, you see, they're not really servants. That's what hypocrite means. It means faker. It means pretender. Think of it this way. You call yourself a servant, but really you spend your time bossing around other Christians, telling other servants of Jesus what to do. And you use them, and you use his family to really get what you want to get out of it. That's not a servant, that's a master. You're acting like a boss. Who are you to to boss other servants around? Right? A servant serves. A master tells other people what to do. A servant serves. A master can put himself first and be served and take. Then that's self-leadership. That's self-leadership. And in the end of the day, all this is saying is that the, hip, the, the wicked servant is not a servant. They might use the name of Jesus. They might identify as a Christian. But in the end of the day, their heart isn't changed and their identity as a servant isn't there. They're a faker and they're a hypocrite. And they'll be, and when Jesus comes, that'll be revealed and they go where they belong. And in the words, back in Revelation 3, 3, in the words of Jesus, Jesus is going to come back at an hour that they don't know. And he's going to come back against them. And I'm going to be honest with you. Think about what this looks like. This looks like we, as followers of Jesus, we don't put ourselves first. We're not here to serve ourselves. 
There, friends, there have been times in my life when I've been a member of a church, involved in a church, and I would criticize and I would complain. Did I ever beat another Christian? Not physically, no. But I beat people with my words. I beat people with my expectations that were so high, I would crush people under them. And even if they met those expectations, didn't make me happy. Because the issue was me. My own selfishness, my own self-absorption, my own... I was, I was I'm trying to get something out of this other than serving Jesus. And if you go down that road long enough, it leads you to be someone who doesn't, who just, it, you're not alive and you take life from people because you crush people. You're like a spiritual vampire. You suck life and you yourself don't have life. I've been there. And think of it this way. What is the church? What is Lighthouse community? What is Bluffton community? What is Fostoria community? We're a family of broken people who say yes to Jesus. And it's very easy to beat and to abuse a family of broken people. Even if you're our guest, if even if this is your first time with us, you're going to notice things that we do that are subpar. The truth is, we serve a perfect and awesome, holy God. Our singing is never going to measure up to what God is worthy of. Our greeting is never going to measure up to the welcome that God himself gives the world through Jesus. We're never going to measure up to that. Our teaching, this sermon, is never going to measure up to the clarity of God's word and what God is worthy of. And it's so easy to find that and to pick it apart and to be like this wicked servant who is putting expectations and critiques and criticisms, but you yourself do not have the power or the motivation or even the heart to see a need and to step in yourself in faith in serving Jesus. Don't hear me say what I'm not saying. I am not saying that we should not notice problems in church. I am not saying that we should not take note of issues and, and, uh, and, and, and needs in the ministry or gaps or things that are wrong. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is there's a difference between judging and discerning. A master judges. A servant discerns. A true and faithful servant sees a need sees something lacking in the family 
And the servant sees that need as an opportunity. Problems are opportunities in the eyes of a servant because you can go to prayer, ask God to help fix that problem or to fill in that gap. You ask God to raise up someone who can do that. And you even ask God, God, are you raising me up? Are you calling me to put myself to fill this gap and to serve or maybe to help someone else to to fill in this need? And that's very different than judging and condemning, which is where I've been many times. And it's so damaging. You know, I remember one of the first times I went to a church, I was a newer believer I was maybe just a couple of months old in the faith. And on the car ride home, the whole car, critiquing the message, critiquing the quality of the worship music, critiquing the songs that were chosen, critiquing the awkward time where we greet one another, and even that person who awkwardly invited us to have lunch. Critique, 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 critique. I'm this brand new believer and I'm like stressing out and I'm really worried and I speak up and I'm stuttering and stammering and I'm like, can we still come back? Are you saying we're not coming back? Can we come back to church? I was afraid that all this was meaning that, you know, this church wasn't good enough or we're not gonna come back, but we, we did go back. I was a new believer. I didn't know that critiquing the Sunday morning service was a thing that some people do. I learned that later on. (laughs) Friends, what Jesus is calling us to, as faithful servants, is to see problems as opportunities, opportunities to trust him, opportunities to be used by God to step in, right? Opportunities to seek God in prayer, that God would raise people up. The last thing we see about true dead, is that they're referred to as people who have soiled their garments. It's a weird and ugly and gruesome description. Picture here is that when someone's died, they lose all control of their bodily functions. And they're done. But then Jesus says there are some who haven't. And the reason why they haven't is because they're not really dead. They're actually just asleep. And he's calling them to wake up. And he's giving them these amazing promises to wake up, to remember, to keep, to hold on, to repent, and to hang on to life and the promise of those who will just wake up and be alive. So let's now talk about what true life is. The picture here is that true life is simply hanging on to life. You're awake. You're just hoping in Jesus. You're just trusting in Jesus. You're alive. There's nothing about the person who is truly alive, the person who conquers, that has anything to do with the amount of activity or their performance or their accomplishments or their good works, or their attendance. All it says is that they're awake. And the promise is is that they will walk with Jesus in white. 
They are not walking with Jesus in white now. Notice that? It's future tense. They will. So that means that the people who will be clothed in white, they're not squeaky clean perfect. But there will be a day when God will clothe them in white garments. And if you go elsewhere, this is mentioned a number of times in Revelation. The picture of the white garment is righteousness. It's good deeds. It's Jesus' perfect performance. It's not a garment that they make. It's a garment that's given. It's gifted. And that's the picture of the gospel. What else does it say? It says that their name, your name, is written in the book. It's in Jesus' hand. It's in a book called the book of life. And it's written with indelible ink. Nothing can happen to that book. Nothing's going to happen to your name except one thing. What does it say? Jesus is going to confess your name before the Father, before his angels. When you meet God face to face, Jesus will make your introduction. All of this points to the simple gospel. And you can summarize it like this. Jesus took your place and put you in his place. And you trust in Jesus. You simply believe that. You rest in that. That Jesus took all of your sin, all of your brokenness, all of the horrible and shameful things that you have done and the horrible and shameful things that have been done to you, God the Father wraps it around Jesus. And as Isaiah 53.10 says, it was the will of the Lord to crush his son. Crushed him. Crushed him. All the weight that you and I deserve, he crushed him. And God took you and put you in Jesus' place. Jesus', the love that God the Father has for his one and only unique son, God now has for you because positionally you're in Jesus' place. All of Jesus' perfect performance, his fulfillment of the law of Moses, his fulfillment of all standards of good deeds and righteousness now cover you. You wear them. They're like a garment because you are in Jesus' place. And your future is secured because you're in Jesus' place. And if you're in Jesus' place and you're in God's hand, no one can snatch you from God's hand. That is the simple message of the gospel. And out of that position, Jesus taking your place, you being in Jesus' place, now Jesus is now also in you. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, is living in you. God has made you a new person. You're a new creation. You're not perfect we're all failing forward in living out this new identity that we have in Christ. But you are new. You're born again. And you're loved by God. And, you, and your identity is simply a loved servant of God. And the only reason you serve 
is because Jesus served you first with something that you can never repay him for, nor should you dare try. It's a gift. It's not a loan. And you, loved of God, just serve him. That's what it looks like to have life. Can you imagine? When you see God face to face, in the presence of his angels, you know, in the New Testament, whenever someone meets an angel, the first thing the angel usually has to say is, don't be afraid. This is terrifying. In the presence of God, you have never seen God face to face. When you see God face to face and surrounded by his army of angels and the fierce angelic characters you find in the Bible, the cherubim and the seraphim, you have God's elite staff and his heavenly council and this massive army before you, something that would cause you to drop dead as it caused John to faint. In that presence, Jesus is next to you. He's holding your hand, and he makes your introduction. God, Father, I'm not ashamed to call him my brother. I'm not ashamed to call her my sister. She's part of our family. I love them. Father, behold your son. Behold your daughter. Your prodigals have come home. And to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. Do you want that? Are you looking forward to That's what it's like to look forward to Jesus to come back for you, not against you. We talked about what true death is. We talked about what true life is. Now let's talk about how do you find life? How do you know that you have it? And you see that first thing, the only command that Jesus gives is in verse two and three. And it starts with this, wake up, wake up, get up from sleeping, regain consciousness. And then in verse three, Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Let's see how my, uh, let's see if my sea monkeys are alive. I don't know. They're little babies. I just hatched them uh, a couple days ago and I haven't really checked yet. So here we go. Well, you can't even see it. They're barely hanging on to life. Oh, but I see them. Look at that. Wow, so tiny. I can't make them grow. I can't give them life. I can probably only take it away. I'm really glad that Jesus gives life. And, you know, I cannot, I cannot, I can move a corpse around, but I can't give life to someone who's dead. But Jesus can. Jesus says, wake up. Now, what does he say? How do you wake up? Remember then what you received. What did you receive? He's talking to his church. They received the gospel. He received that simple gospel of Jesus in your place and you in his. Remember it. Wear it. Put it on. What's the next thing? Keep it. Hold on. 
Keep living that out. It's your identity. Teach it to yourself. Preach it to yourself. Wear it like a robe. Put it on who you are. The last word is repent. Repent is an unfortunate word in the English, I think. It's kind of like repent. It's kind of connected to like repentance. Penance or penitence. That's not a good, that's not a good word. The, the word here in Greek is, is metanoia. And it literally means a changed mind. It means a new mind. It means a new way of thinking. To repent is to have a new mind, a new way of thinking, a, a new paradigm to put on. So as we begin to close, let's talk about where are you this morning? Friends, some of you, though your face might not show it, you feel it in your heart. You're a little burnt out. Some of you are struggling. You're tired. You're tired of all the demands around you both in your workplace, maybe in your family, but also in church. You're tired of feeling like you have to perform. You're tired that you have to jump through hoops. The word for you from Jesus, I believe, is to remember. You did not come to Jesus to perform. You did not come to Jesus to pretend You did not come to Jesus to jump through hoops. You did not come to Jesus to fill up your calendar. You came to Jesus to rest. Rest in him. Stubbornly put your faith, your trust, your confidence, place it squarely on Jesus who took your place and put you in his. Vehemently rest stubbornly rest, immovably rest. Some of you, man, you are alive. You are staying awake. You are remembering. You're reminding yourself of your identity and your position in Christ. You're singing the gospel to yourself. You're reminding yourself that you're a sinner saved by grace and you're a beloved child of God and you're serving out of a good heart. And the encouragement to you is what Jesus says. Keep it. Keep going. Keep holding on to what you have. Don't grow weary. Persevere. You're doing good. Hold on. Keep wearing it. Keep singing it. Keep preaching it to yourself. Keep reminding yourself your position in Christ. And there might be some of you who are still in the dark on all this. Some of you are here. Maybe you're here in person. Maybe you're tuning in online. Maybe you're gathering in Fostoria or you're gathering in Bluffton. And you know that you are not here because God made you a new person. And this is where you feel compelled to be. But there's some other reason you're here. And whatever that reason is, it doesn't matter. The word for you is to repent. And that doesn't mean 
that you're perfect. That doesn't mean you clean your life up. It means you change your mind. That God at the cost of his son gave you, is offering you life. If you would turn from your own self-leadership and place your hope and your trust squarely on Jesus, Jesus as your forgiver and as your leader. And as you do that, you have life. I'm going to pray in a moment. This is an opportunity to respond. And this opportunity, as Jesus says, is not always there because he is coming at an hour and a time where no one expects him. If God is calling you to change your thoughts, to change your thinking, to change your mind about about something that God spoke to you through his word today, my encouragement to you is to respond Don't let this change of mind slip away. Take hold of it. Father in heaven, right now I pray for all of my friends, those here, those online. God, I do not care. It doesn't matter why we're here, except that I believe, God, that you brought us here. Many are here because of the new identity they have in you, and many are here perhaps for other reasons. I pray that you would draw each and every one of us to respond. Help us to pick up our identity again in Jesus. Help us to live that out. Help us to remember. God, we, I didn't come here to perform. I didn't come here to serve. I, I came here to serve. That's all I want to do. I don't even know if this is a good sermon or not. It doesn't matter. I just want to serve you. I don't even know what to do half the time, Lord. Call us to respond. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.